Today's episode is powered by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. As they stand in solidarity with the Black community and everyone fighting for racial and food justice, HelloFresh is proud to support Black voices and to affirm that Black lives matter today and every day. Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit simplecast.com. Peace and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting live from the lobby of The Line, D.C., On this show, you hear from the voices of dynamic Black people and people of color in the agriculture, food justice, and healing space as they share empowering food narratives and perspectives that stem from the land, all while exemplifying the spirit of activism in their own edible way. Let's get started. Peace and welcome to the Edible Activist Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa L. Jones, broadcasting on Full Service Radio. So today's show, I have a very special guest, Passion Murray. She is the founder of Detroit Dirt, the leading model of organic waste recovery and reuse with a mission to create a zero waste mindset throughout communities, and drive forward a low-carbon economy. Detroit Dirt has partnered with General Motors, the Detroit Zoo, Blue Cross Blue Shield, and others to pick up food waste and manure to reuse and create rich soil. Passion and her company have been featured in numerous media outlets from Forbes to Entrepreneur, And of course, the most amazing edible activist platform, because I got to toss this out there too, right? (laughs) So Passion, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here and to connect with you. (laughs) So dope. I listen. So when I um, set out to do my, my edible activist tour, I think it was back in 2017 to Detroit, right? I was doing my due diligence, my research. Didn't really know anyone there. Um, so I was, you know, again, doing my research. And so like I'm on the I'm on the internet and I'm I'm Googling like where are the dope black activist growers, you know, those in the ag space. And so I come across this site and I see like this beautiful, like black woman with impeccable style, a shovel standing in front of a pile of dirt. And that's when I learned about Detroit Dirt. And I was like, yo, where is she? I got to meet her. Okay. I was completely blown away to see such a dynamic sister, okay, with an incredible mission. And I'm just so glad that we connected, Passion. I've had the opportunity to be in your space, to tour the facility where you do the production, all of that. And just, we've had the opportunity just to hang out and kick it in Detroit. Like, Passion provided me, like, my my very first, like, real Detroit experience. So I got the whole shebang. But just on top of, like, your environmental work in Detroit dirt, like, you're incredible, and I'm just, I'm so glad we crossed paths. So you you are you are my friends, and, um, but you are going to start off the show by, like, what up, though? 
because I know that's a Detroit thing. <laughs> what up, though? <laughs> and, I, I, and I am equally grateful for our um, missions to have crossed paths and uh, for us to have a friendship. And I'm very proud of the progress that you've made. Um, just watching you evolve has been a blessing. So um, continued success to you. <laughs> Warms my heart, warms my heart. So passion, this entrepreneur space is nothing new to you. The land is nothing new to you. You were actually exposed to this early on due to your father's, you know, landscaping business, going to Mississippi, you know, being on farmland. You have family that owns farm, farmland. And so I just want to start off with that because you know, some of the times we, you know, we have a mix. We have a mix of folks who are just getting into this space, whether they are entrepreneurs, whether they are a new grower, whether they just started farming and they're just exposed to it, even if they have a, a, a longstanding history with the land, like through their family. But then there are folks like you that's just like, nah, I've, I've seen this coming up, you know? And so I just want to just spend a few moments on just, you know, painting that, that picture for us of, of, what it was like coming up and being around your dad's business and being on that farmland and how you connected to the land way before Detroit dirt. Yes. Um, you know, I always say the creator is always at work um, because clearly there was a purpose and path or a journey that was set out in front of my life um, without me truly realizing as a young child, I didn't fully evolve into that purpose until um, we started Detroit Dirt. But um, just to paint a picture of my childhood um, and describe some of the pivotal moments, uh, my dad had a contracting company that he basically um, had a maintenance and service company. And so he had contracts with the city and the county and uh, the most significant thing about that was he had these seasonal contracts where I was able to jump in and out of the truck with him um, and just observe, really observe what he was doing in the community. And he really was a man of the community and cleaning it all at the same time. Um, and those trips to the landfills, so he had you know contracts for waste removal and diversion. And so um, going to the landfills as a young child, the landfill never really made sense to me even then with him, you know, and other contractors or companies dumping waste in landfills. Uh, the other opportunity I had was watching him and a crew of guys um, have, you know, or partake in interior demolition, snow plowing as well as industrial mowing of interstates and lots. So he had some dealings with um, housing commission as well, boarding up homes. But the most significant thing that sticks out is the trips to the landfills, simply because I had no idea one day that I would even be involved with creating solutions around uh, materials management and, and, and waste materials. And then my family actually... Um, both of, well, my mother is from the Deltas, her family, and then uh, my dad is from the outside of the Jackson area. But we would go to Mississippi probably twice a year. 
uh, from about first grade through seventh grade, every um, spring break, I would go to Mississippi. And the, the beauty in that was connecting back to my roots, the South, uh, having an understanding of the migration, but more importantly, watching my grandfather be one with, na- with nature on that farm and how he could basically communicate with the cows. Uh, he understood if, if an animal was sick, he knew the land. Um, and of course, my father grew up uh, farming and, and growing everything uh, that you could possibly imagine from greens to crowder peas to making sure that the cellars were right in the ground where they stored meat. Um, but, you know, I got a chance to experience it as a young child with part of the farm still functioning. But just having my ancestor present, uh, he's no longer with us, but just watching him be one with nature was impactful. It was awe-inspiring and astounding as a child. Uh, But those two um, moments in life, like the trips to the landfills, as well as uh, seeing my grandfather be one with nature, and then the most impactful as an adult was I had a chance to witness Grand Rapids invest hundreds of millions of dollars in building a more efficient city according to green building practices and and green infrastructure. Uh, And that was really those three key components in my life inspired me to, you know, land in the space that I'm in currently. So here you are at this this tender this tender age as this like baby environmentalist and just didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. <laughs> didn't even know it. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. All right, so fast forward, we have Detroit Dirt, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I this story just uh, selfishly, guys, so selfishly because I've I've heard Passion's story and I've been in her presence, and so I'm just I'm all in. I'm all in, but. Um, you know, you're in this place of where, like, listen, there's some businesses who aren't making this food waste connection. You know, like I've seen this coming up. I've gone to the landfills, but what's what's what are people doing with their food? You know, what is what is the automotive business? What are they doing with their food? You know, what is what are these other companies doing with their wa- their food waste specifically, right? And so, I definitely want to tap into um, the the Detroit dirt itself, the business itself, but more specifically the business model, because we aren't talking um, uh, at just an, an ordinary, not to discredit anybody who has composting businesses, because shout out to the composting businesses out there, you know, but like this is an actual, like there is a, a, a strategic model behind Detroit dirt. But before we dig into that just a bit, no pun intended, um, for, for an everyday listener, Let's just compost like less because I I, I want to catch that everyday listener might be like, what the heck is compost? What are they talking about? So just so we can catch them up to speed, because it's also learning and education. Let's just, you know, have you define what composting is and, and the purpose of it. And then we'll bridge into the your business and, and the model that you have for it. Sure. Uh, so composting is organic matter. It's it's the decomposition of organic matter. So if you could imagine coffee grounds, uh, spent grain from breweries or uh, liquor distributors who make actually make uh, liquor or beer, um, the coffee grounds that come from your coffee shop or your kitchen, 
egg uh, shells, any type of vegetables, but really all food can be composted. It's just that meat and bones um, are required to have a different process when breaking that food down to its, uh, its simple form. But composting is uh, really about the organic matter of the world. And if you could just imagine in the forests, in the jungles, when, when those leaves fall on the ground or when animal manure uh, is in the ground, anything that's natural uh, that is in a decomposed state, we really, um, as is humanity, um, has, some of us have taken things for granted, such as composting. Uh, but really, it's a process of taking organic matter, breaking it down, and making byproducts such as soil amendments. So with those vegetables, with those leaves, the veg would represent the green. The cardboards and papers and leaves would represent the brown. So you have this green and brown um, mixture or ratio, depending on what kind of, of compost or soil amendment or fertilizer that you would like to produce. But it's taking food, organic food waste, and um, accelerating a process to make a byproduct, which is a soil amendment. Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where at the beginning of civilization or throughout civilization, it's something that farmers and communities uh, took pride in uh, because that was their way of, of sustaining and remediating their soils. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was a carbon cycle that's involved with that. Instead of sending that food waste to the landfill, if you recycle or process it properly, you can reduce those greenhouse gases. You can stop that carbon from escaping and putting it in, in the soil where, where it truly belongs. Um, so it, it definitely is very important when we look at the connection between food waste and climate, right? So it's very important that we process these materials properly and, um, and make byproducts with them. So I wish this was as, as easy um, as it's playing out in my mind. I just envision envision you sitting at uh, this this corporate space, right? General Motors, a Detroit D D the Detroit Zoo, saying, "How about you just hand me over that manure or that food waste? Because I, I got some things I need to do with this." Okay, <laughs> I know that's not, and maybe that's how the story started. But like you know, let's let's walk, let's let's talk like the birth of, of Detroit dirt in in the model that's behind it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, so um, it's it's so fun because it's not a traditional method of business or a traditional model, if you will, because I always had in mind the economics, you know, uh, as well as the industry as a whole, like what we were truly wanting to impact. And so what happened was as I came out of the... Um, the consulting and lobbying world of, you know, really being sponsored to lobby to go back and forth to DC, uh, fighting for climate resiliency. I started meeting urban farmers in Detroit. Well, at that time that I met some of the urban farmers who were looking at pushing their movement and revitalizing a local economy, the automotive community was uh, pushing zero waste landfill free. And so the timing was perfect. I look at it as, as a spiritual awakening. 
what happened in my mind is I began to strategize and think about what resources we did not have access to in the city. Most of the time when people order uh, soil or compost, they're ordering it for 20, 30 miles outside of the city, or they're ordering, you know, small volumes uh, of material. And, and so I thought, hmm, how do we take our own resources, such as food waste and yard waste, and compost or, you know, process that locally? So the other gentleman who actually co-founded Detroit Dirt with me was an urban farmer, and he was, you know, composting on a very small scale for his urban farm. But, you know, my upbringing with going to the landfills, being, you know, familiar with the footprint of waste and how most cities truck that waste 20, 30 miles outside the city or to a landfill, or they burn it in an incinerator. And we have an incinerator. We had one that was recently shut down last year, um, which is was was which was a huge accomplishment uh, for all of the activists in the environmental justice space, mm-hmm. uh, because we know that landfills and incinerators contribute to to you know cancers and other health issues such as asthma and things of that nature. So um, I really wanted to be on the forefront and truly impact and. When I began to research and look at what the automotive community was doing around zero waste and then the urban farmers, I thought, hmm, if I could join forces with Greg and we could actually create a model that was sustainable, that was socially, economically and environmentally impactful, we could shift the culture as well as impact the environment. And so we just started... um, trying to figure out, you know, first and foremost, where would we be able to actually accomplish this as far as land? Uh, There's a lot of contaminated soils throughout the city, so I wanted to be really careful about that. And so through my uh, research and building relationships in the community within the network, I found out that there was some land um, that a farm used to actually, I guess they had a farm there like 40, 50 years ago. And um, the the people who actually own the land, they had land all up and down the rail line. And so we found a, a place that we could possibly compost. And then Greg was already talking to the zoo about using their manure and having other farmers utilize the herbivore manure from the zoo. But I had to find some key stakeholders in the community that would allow us to you know, take their organic waste for two reasons. One, to stop it from going to the landfills, but also to show or reflect to the community that a company or corporation of power was interested in helping to join forces and collaborate with us. So we started off with a pilot where we would send pickup trucks to docking areas And we would pick up that food waste from General Motors, coffee shops, breweries, and we would pick up that spent grain and those vegetables and take it back to the site. And then the Detroit Zoo would deliver anywhere from like one to three tons of herbivore manure in their dump truck. They had this huge compactor truck. And so they would deliver that. 
And then we would process and make compost. So we really wanted to focus in the beginning, especially myself, on taking those key stakeholders, doing something positive um, and aligning with them, but distributing that byproduct back into the community. So you have this closed loop model or closed loop system that's fueling you know, a local economy, but at the same time, we're, you know, we just happen to be, you know, changing the carbon footprint because one, we're not sending the land, the waste to the landfills, but also we're making a byproduct that the community could actually use and grow food, you know? So the dynamic in that uh, was, you know, it was very spiritual. And what I began to understand as I was evolving as this activist as I truly started seeing the connections between our carbon footprint uh, on a day-to-day, but also how we could change the footprint of corporations, but more importantly, the impact that that had on climate and climate change. Because after all, this was about climate resiliency. Everything that I wanted to be involved with, you know, as a person of color, as a Black woman, I wanted positive reflections to the community, but also the bigger picture was impacting climate. I mean, at the end of the day, that's why we were doing this, um, you know, and giving people a source of great fertilizer and compost. And then soil is a is a, a filter. It's a storage. So if we could produce huge volumes of compost, we could use those compost applications to remediate soils. Most of the people throughout this country who live in heavy industrial cities who are revitalizing have to bring those soils back, as well as other communities around the world. And it's important to have that topsoil. Um, that's just one of the most important elements of, of, of the ecosystem. So as you can see, there's <laughs> so many tentacles to composting that people don't probably uh, think about, but the dynamic in it is all of the the positive impacts that you know composting uh, can bring, and you know revitalizing communities as well as um, healthy soil. So, and you know, one of the things that I definitely want to you know reiterate and just amplify again. I mean, you've said this, and we've had a conversation about this before. Um, you can't have the food conversation without having a climate conversation because it's all connected. All the webs are connected, you know? Um, so I definitely just want to amplify that. But we are going to take a really short break and we'll be right back. HelloFresh offers convenient delivery right to your doorstep for easy home cooking with the family. With a variety of delicious options made available, you'll feel super duper confident in breaking out of your recipe rut to try new things. And since HelloFresh is committed to making fresh, delicious food available now more than ever, they have taken extra steps to keep its employees and customers safe, including no contact delivery, tamper-proof packaging, and team member wellness checks. Head on over to HelloFresh.com to start planning your next meal.
You're listening to Perfect Day, produced by Artists Authentic. For more of Authentic's work, visit allornothingstudios.com. So, um, passion. So I, in, in composting and, in Detroit dirt and your model, do you view composting, um, or your, your business rather as a solution, one of the solutions to addressing food insecurity and apartheid in urban areas in Detroit, in, in cities that are comparable to Detroit that, that, that have, that have been experiencing the same, the same issues when it comes to our food system. Do you view this as one of the, as a solution to addressing our food system issues? Absolutely. Um, yes. Number one, compost is a a nutrient-based you know, um, fertilizer or soil amendment, that is great Mm -hmm. for urban farming and for any resident or business to use uh, for all of so many different uh, reasons. One being, you know, organic matter is just a better source than chemically based products. So definitely it's a solution. Uh, When we look at the need for soil remediation. When we look at the fact that we deal with runoff and chemical issues that other corporations and others are using for their lawns, for, you know, grass areas, farms. So composting is a huge solution uh, because it stores water, it filters it, and it helps to remediate and it creates a carbon cycle. Uh, When it comes to the BIPOC community, as far as Uh, people of color, I think that composting as well as urban farming empowers us as a people, uh, all people in fact, but in urban communities, we definitely have to push this movement uh, because it's a way for people to empower themselves. If you're growing your own food, but you're growing it in the best way possible with the best nutrient-based products, the better off your health is going to be. And see, again, with climate issues, that it impacts everything, right? So climate change is about our health. Our health and the health of the soil are one and the same. What we plant in that soil and what we consume in our bodies is the most important fuel that we can give ourselves, right? But at the same time, if we're doing it in a way that is conducive or productive for the ecosystem, what better way? Uh, to grow our own food. Um, I will say that I don't see enough of us sitting at the table, uh, having conversations in these in corporate you know, settings. It's starting to happen. There's a movement going on globally about social equity. It's definitely at the forefront of everything that I do. One, because I am a Black woman in an in a 80% plus populated city where it's important for community engagement and social equity to be um, a top priority with what I do. Uh, And so being a climate activist and being out here and fighting for, you know, humanity as a whole, 
Um, it's a way to bring people together. I always, I used to have this mantra of everybody's connected to the soil, you know, and we are uh, globally, but the, the epidemic of food waste being sent to landfills and one in seven, one in eight Americans are food insecure, we have to, to create a different system. The antiquated ways or practices of the past, as far as, you know, throwing things away that are of value uh, and having these food banks that are looking for support as well as investment, we have a broken food system because we need people to pay attention to what those food banks can provide. And then if we divert the food waste and stop it from being wasted in the first place, we could feed more people. So I definitely think that our food system, there's a few epidemics that are going on with food waste, but more importantly, we have to actually educate the public on how to grow their own food, but also inviting the community uh, and having them help to make decisions on, you know, what's beneficial to them as well. So the equity piece is huge. Um, but at the end of the day, I've seen the evolution of this, right? I think we've come a long way. We're making progress. Uh, but I would like to see more of our young people involved with the movement. I really, I really would truly love to see that. Uh, but food waste it's a problem and it's a solution if we practice and do away with all the antiquated ways that in which we've managed our food systems to begin with. Uh, countries have built their economies off of the right agricultural practices, and that led to other economic benefits and impacts. So again, the soil and our lives are, you know, aligned. You know, that same bacteria that's in your gut is actually the some of the same bacteria that's made up in the microbial community that's living in the ground. So, you know, I try my best when I'm out here being the best version of myself to translate as much as possible with everyone on every level, whether it's academia or a resident getting them to truly understand what the issue is around food waste, but more importantly, why is our system broken? Why are people hungry? And why are the indigenous and BIPOC communities not a part of these conversations? Well, now it's time to change the tide and, and shift in another direction because we have the solutions now. So, well, first of all, amen, sister, because I wanted to say that a few moments ago, but I was just like, go passion, go. Yes. Um, <laughs> so two things, maybe three. Um, some people know this, and I think you know this, like when I first started, when I, when I first got into this space, like I geeked out about soil because I didn't make the connection. I didn't know about the connection. And I said, oh my gosh, we have an entire like whole world underneath our feet that's so vital, you know, to to growing food, to just our environment as a whole, to curbing climate change. I mean, just I had to that was a learning experience for me and I geeked out about soil. So 
from just the aside from like passion being like seriously like the dopest person ever to just our Mississippi connections, my love for Detroit and like soil, y'all, y'all, y'all get the picture, right? But like I legit geeked about soil. And so um I remember when I toured the facility where um where you um you all do your production and I had my hands all in it, y'all, like all this just like black gold, just like feeling the soil and it's so rich. And, you know, I, I'm just appreciative of your work because we do need to make more of that connection. We do need to do more educating, but also people do what they see, you know? And so, um, I, at the beginning, you know, when I, I was, I was for real, like, I was just like, who is this like dope, like woman, like, like about this mission, like I need to see more of, of, of passions, you know, like we need to see more of that, which brings me to my next point. You know, when we talk about the thing that intrigues me the most about your work is that it's centered around humanity. You know, you're not just out here, you know, the, the, the business and the model just isn't about, okay, let's just, we need to, you know, um, do something with this food waste to center around humanity so people can have a way of life, you know, so that people can have access to wonderful gardens and, and soil rich food that people can utilize these soil amendments and do something with it that makes a way of living for Detroiters, you know, like super duper better, when you started out and you realized that you were like in this environmental, you know, role or you, however you wanted to label yourself environmentalist, climate activist, um, I'm curious to see how that, that um, definition evolved for you, right? Because we know, like you said, an 80% like space that's dominated by like white people, our white counterparts. So we think we see the hip, you, you hear the word climate activists and you, and try, I didn't, I didn't, I, I have done the plunges at the national Harbor. You know, I have raised my money for climate change. And yes, I'm like one of the only sisters, like being a crazy person, like dumping my whole body and like an icy body, body of water, because the issue is important to me, but it's not enough of me out there. Um, but I am curious to see, to, to understand how your definition of a climate activist and environmentalist has evolved because like, again, your work is, sent, it's, you care about humanity and people, you know, versus we just need to reverse climate change, you know, because our, our bees are dying, you know, and we need to create more bio, biophilic cities, you know, but your, your mission is centered around humanity. So I'm just curious if at all, you know, how that has evolved and how that's continued to evolve, how you define yourself as an activist in this space. Yeah, um, that's an excellent question. Um, I think about it every now and again, um, a couple of times, two, three times a year, especially when the question comes up of the evolution of all of this and where I, where I came from and where I am presently. I definitely um, have evolved into the person that I am um, spiritually, more importantly, uh, because when I when I started this journey, I was involved with uh, waste and recycling and green infrastructure as far as green like construction and principles. That's where I started in Grand Rapids, uh, which is a two and a half hour drive west of here. So growing up in Grand Rapids, and I left and attended HBCU, stayed in, down in Houston for a while. And then when I decided to move back, Grand Rapids was investing hundreds of millions of dollars in infrastructure. They wanted to be one of the most sustainable cities. In 2003 and 2004, 
jumping all in and learning about sustainability because it was a buzzword and I had no idea. I saw it sustainability or witnessed it in business school from an economic standpoint. But when I moved back to Grand Rapids, my mind was blown because they were built they were building a more efficient city, but inviting designers, construction managers, uh, developers, you know, general contractors, they were all coming together to create a vision around sustainability and building infrastructure, transportation, revitalization of land, buildings, you name it. So I started off there and then I became a consultant after I um, managed some materials for a couple of green building projects, which were LEED certified. Then when I left you know, that space, I began to consult and I started working with universities and workforce development around training around job training. And at this time, Van Jones, Majora Carter, there were a few of us on the front lines fighting for green jobs. Specifically, Van Jones at that time was very inspirational for me. One, being a black man, I didn't know too many of us who were in the environmental space uh, fighting for green jobs. And so when the Obamas hired Van right before that, I was consulting And then, um, you know, just kind of listening on the ground, keeping my ears to the ground. And we were like, okay, from an environmental justice standpoint, there's a movement going on. And so consulting, networking, that evolved to relationships with universities and colleges, helping them to create professional development for academia. And then when I left that space, um, because I spent about two to three years in each space that I was in to get enough information to inspire me to, you know, phase into that that next moment in life and time uh, where I could carry the the tools and resources, you know, um, from construction to consulting. And so what I noticed as well is after about the sixth or seventh year of lobbying a little bit in DC, National Wildlife Sierra Club, Al Gore's Repower America, they sponsored me to go to DC and lobby. Once I figured out I didn't really wanna be in that space because I needed to be boots on the ground working towards this mission. Um, I remember getting invited to different universities back in like 08, 09. When I began to actually travel to to start speaking. Some of the universities of today didn't even have sustainability programs. They didn't have coordinators or anything. So I've watched academia as well as corporations incorporate or implement sustainability plans. So when I first started this journey, it was about me learning what sustainability was and, and how the infrastructure needed an investment all over the world globally. And then from that, all the different transitions to different moments. And then we land at, you know, the UN, the FAO, all of these different organizations began to push sustainable goals. And so I just started aligning uh, with all these national organizations. And I I built a network for myself as well and just started aligning. And then when Detroit Dirt uh, evolved, um, into what it is today, 
um, from a global perspective, having conversations, I started looking at, okay, now it's time for me to put back on this advocacy hat and start explaining and translating all of the benefits to, you know, life in general from a humanity standpoint, but from an ethical standpoint, as well as the economics of this. Because today it's really about getting everyone to see the importance of, you know, air quality, soil and water. You know, there's so many of us out here fighting for the, you know, for human rights, you know, from a social standpoint, but the, the evolution or how I evolved, you know, into the person that I am today, it was just hard work grinding. Um, and then when you pioneer something, you know, we're talking about a black woman with, you know, natural hair walking into corporate America saying, Hey, look, you have an issue with your waist stream. People are kind of looking at you like you're crazy. You know, 12, 13 years ago, they're looking at me like, what is she talking about? I'm talking about you're sending precious resources to the landfill and we need, there's a, a dollar or a value associated with that. Right. So my journey was very interesting because I think I've touched pretty much every aspect of, you know, the climate movement with the exception of I'm not a scientist. You know, I did not go to, I didn't formally, I'm not formally educated in science, but the mere fact that I consulted with corporations, you know, I am an entrepreneur. I've, I've fought for environmental justice rights, you know, for equity. I pretty much touched every aspect of what climate resiliency is, you know, and I'm I'm staying humbled and keeping myself grounded uh, simply because I feel that, you know, we have a long way to go. But those of us who have committed our lives to this, we have to come together. Right. Because at the end of the day, the ecosystem is very diverse. But yet we as humans don't know how to embrace diversity. You know, we're still very segregated in a lot of communities around the world, and it's time out for that. The only way you can have a climate resilient movement and truly impact and shift towards positive, you know, change is if we invite everybody to the table because all of us have a purpose in this. But but the most important um, message that I share is the ecosystem is diverse. How come we can't be, you know, with our decision-making and what, what we're supposed to do as humanity? I mean, we're a reflection of the ecosystem. So, you know, the climate deniers out here in the world, we've seen them deny, a, you know, a multitude of things throughout history. But the truth of the matter is these things are happening right in front of us. We can see the fires, the storms. What are we going to do to prevent them? You know, what are what are we going to do to prevent them? Because that is our reality today. No one can deny the fires in California or the tsunamis in Asia, you know, or the melting of glaciers. That's evident. It's right there. So you 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 can deny it all that you want. But the truth of the matter is it's happening and it's happening right now. And we're in a crisis. We're in a crisis. Hmm. Y'all see why passion is so dope. 
<laughs> passion so passionate. Y'all about to get me. I'm about to start rhyming on here. <laughs> so I, I I need to conclude, but I want I I'm itching. I just have to ask. I'm itching to ask this question. So you got like 30 seconds. So what's next? What's next? We are um t- it's still in the new year, but same pandemic. Um, <laughs> um, and then I laugh because it's not funny, but it just is what it is. This is where we are. Um, the amazing thing is that we've had a lot more um, folks garden out of this, right? Because we're going insane and, and being in our homes. And I'm talking like more Black folks are like out in the backyard, you know, moms are pulling their daughters out like, all right, this is a duo project. Let's get it. Um, and this is just m- more of a fine opportunity for those. I mean, you know, in, in the climate that I'm in right now, you know, it's all snowy and stuff. It's snowing in Detroit. But for those who who have a, a start, you know, this is a an, an opportunity. I mean, composting in is just an opportunity for for everyone to to get in, whether you are a grower or you know you're, you're you buy groceries, produce, you know, all the other stuff. But um, with all that said, kind of rambling. But um, what what is next, and what what opportunities do you see um, out of? everything that's been happening are is there you know where's the silver lining and are there any you know op- like futuristic opportunities that you see that can come out of where we are right now absolutely uh i think education and awareness is the key globally we have to constantly drive home the importance of climate resiliency and educate all of those who are interested and even those who aren't. <laughs> and so our nonprofit, that's what we're going to truly focus in on. I just uh, filmed a um, commercial with MasterCard. I'm, I'm filming another project with Paps Blue Ribbon um, and other brands are knocking at my door. So it's going to be important to build that bridge with all these brands and keep driving home the equity piece, as well as getting people to see the importance of inviting the BIPOC community, but also the, these brands, they have the, the power to change minds and influence, right? I don't like social media. I never have liked it. Um, I'm not a fan of social media. I'm with you I but I have a lot <laughs> but, of friends on it though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's a it's a necessary, it's one of those like necessary evils um, because of the branding and marketing power of it. Absolutely. But what we're gonna continue to do over the next couple of years is um, help to you know share stories of others, uh, but as well as the culture of carbon, culture of carbon is our our consulting company, and I'm just going to push news and information through Culture of Carbon and get people to understand this this culture behind carbon and, and what we need to be doing. That That's what's next for me is working with brands, educating, you know, young people and, you know, getting people to pay attention uh, to what they can do themselves. You know what I mean? So that's it. I'm, I'm advocating. Uh, it's a lifelong commitment, and, and that's what I'm here uh, to do. And, and hopefully, you know, with all the brand um, awareness and opportunities, we can get brands to, to start promoting 
the mission and vision behind this culture and what we need to truly be doing as as uh, people and humanity, but more importantly, how we can sustain the ecosystem. Beautiful. Passion, where can folks find Detroit Dirt online and social media? <laughs> <laughs> Why we on it, sister? <laughs> they can go on Instagram. Um, so I have two Instagrams. I have Detroit Dirt, um, the name Detroit, D-I-R-T, um, and then Passion, P-A-S-H-O-N, Murray, M-U-R-R-A-Y, and um, both of them are at on Instagram, Facebook, and we're also online at DetroitDirt.org. And we're excited about Culture of Carbon. We're going to be launching that. So uh, we already bought all the domains and um, all the... That's important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Culture of Carbon is going to probably be revolutionary um, in the sense that Detroit Dirt was revolutionary of the beginning stages of my life, but Culture of Carbon is going to empower people and communities. Um, so I'm excited. Yeah. yeah. I want my t-shirt because I see that t-shirt just, I see that clearly. I see that clearly. I want my t-shirt. Want my t-shirt. All right. Gotcha. So before, before I really let you go, we're going to do a quick rapid fire, right? Okay. Ready? All right. Sweet. All right, here we go. So what is your favorite veggie or fruit? Oh, wow. Favorite vegetable. Ooh, I would say greens and onions. It's hard. (laughs) (laughs) My girl said greens and onions. All right, there there we go. There we go. (laughs) Fruit, pineapples, and plums. (laughs) Yum. Oh, yum. All right, so we're going to head over to the flavor profile. So sweet, spicy, sour, salty, savory, or bitter? Sour because that palate is for full, for wine. I'm thinking of wine. (laughs) (laughs) Dry wines. (laughs) So sour. (laughs) Oh, I'm not mad. I am not mad. Last artist or podcast you listened to? Wow. Um, last artist. And when I say artist, I'm talking about like maybe you were grooving to them moments before our show, an hour ago, or podcast, what have you. Yeah. So um, I I heard, I listened, to, I actually saw this little biopic on Lauren Hill. And um, yeah, she's all, she, I just happened to be on YouTube and, and, um, she just to me was like defying the odds and with the singing, the hip hop and she'll always go down in history to me as just being dynamic. So um, that, I mean, I'm I'm blessed that I was just like really part of like that, that Lauren Hill Hill era. Like I remember when that album dropped, like Miss Education, Lauren Hill, like that whole era. I just, uh, she's phenomenal. But even before that, Fuji's. You know what I'm saying? Like, Fuji. Absolutely. (laughs) Ready or not. And she came for real. (laughs) Yes, she did. Yes, she did. So who are you rooting for these days? Um, In what space? Any space. It can be your mama. It can be your sister. (laughs) 
It could be the neighbor around the corner. It could be all these other dope, amazing black women. Like who's just like in the forefront of your mind who you're just rooting for right now? It can be anybody. I'm rooting for our ancestors at all times because Mm. they are always touching souls beyond our imagination. And my, my dream is, you know, Martin and Malcolm, they had the vision. And so we're living it now. We don't have any excuses. I mean, you know, we can carry the torch now. And so I truly believe our young people, um, building that bridge. I try, I try to represent a bridge of, of bridging young people to our ancestors, but they had the dream. And at first, no one in corporate America or anybody wanted us to be this black, you know, natural hair, um, authentic. Now we can be ourselves. I mean, so let's, fi- let's fight it out and get out here and do we- what we need to do. Uh, this is, this, what better time than now? This is the first time in history I've been invited by brands to just be passion. They're not telling me who they want me to be. They're allowing me to be myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ain't that something? Wow. Well, passion, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for gracing Edible Activists. You are alum. You've actually been alum, you know? So just glad that we got to share your voice even further. Thank you guys for listening and um, peace. Thanks for tuning in. You can catch today's episode on fullserviceradio.org as well as iTunes and Spotify. Be sure to follow Who Talks in Color, that's just the letter N, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for all updates. Are you an edible activist? Sure you are. Come join me on the show. Just shoot me a DM on the gram or connect with me at foodtalksincolor.com. And if you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, let's connect. Peace and blessings. And remember, in the words of Baba Tariq Adunu, there is no culture without agriculture. There's no coincidence that there are a bunch of people who look like you and I who took care of farming. We are the closest thing to the soil. There's a reason why these dark people around the world are native to every land. There is a reason why they are the closest thing to the earth. Black, the color in itself, whether it's the soil, whether it's everything that's holding all these planets and stars above us, Understand what the world is made up of. When you look at the science of all this, the soil is healing. It's a healing power. But if you eat whatever is coming out of the ground, it's essentially in you. What's in you is in the ground, and it's all connected. Water and soil should be the priority of anybody's agenda around the world. I want young people to be able to understand that agriculture is something that we are naturally gifted in. You can work in those areas and you can build whatever you want. For my legacy, I want to be recognized as someone who cared about humanity.